Hello, everyone, and welcome again to this week's podcast of In-Depth with Beth and Seth from Plymouth Church in Minneapolis. My name is Seth Patterson, and I'm the Minister for Spiritual Formation and Theater at Plymouth Church in Minneapolis. And I am, as always, happy to be here with my friend and colleague, Beth Hoffman, Faith. Woo! Hello, Seth. My own cheering section. I love that. Hello, everyone. It's a very small cheering section, but we're enthusiastic. Small and significant. (laughs) I am Beth Hoffman Faith, and I am the Minister for Congregational Care and Worship. Looking forward to talking about a sermon preached Sunday, February 21st. And Sunday, February 21st just happened to be the first Sunday of Lent. Ash Wednesday was on the 17th. The February, the Wednesday before, as 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 happens, and this was preached by our colleague Dwayne Davis, and it is entitled "The Entanglements of Unrestrictive Covenants," which is quite a title. I don't think I realized it till I said it out loud. The entanglements of unrestrictive covenant that says a lot. Uh, so please, uh, we encourage you to listen to it. And you can find that on our website, Plymouth.org. And in this, we begin Lent talking about covenant. So this not only is uh, the first Sunday of Lent, it's the first Sunday of a series on covenant. Right. For the next few weeks, we will be preaching and forming our sermons around the idea of covenant in the terms of, of coming back to and returning to God who has offered us a variety of covenant, particularly through primary figures in the First Testament, and we'll explore what it means uh, to be in covenant with one another, with creation, with God, uh, with ourselves, particularly in the season of Lent. And covenant is is not a term that we use very often. We will talk about community, we'll talk about um, our responsibility to each other, but the word covenant has sort of an antiquated feel. I mean, even Plymouth, so this very church has a covenant that we have adopted officially, and it is based on the Salem Covenant of 1629, which I think is the heyday of covenants, the mid-17th century. And this is our covenant. Do you know it, Beth? Can you say it with me without looking? Not by heart. I'll mouth the words that I remember. (laughs) And all the people listening will know that you are mouthing them correctly. (laughs) That's right. We covenant with you, O God, and one with another and do bind ourselves in your presence to walk together in all your ways, according as you are pleased to reveal yourself to us in your blessed word of truth. That is the Plymouth Church Covenant based on the Salem Covenant of 1629. And so a little covenant. bit of congregational history here is that congregational churches are not formed around a creed or a doctrine. We encourage people to come to know God in a way in which they feel led and not bound by a certain set of beliefs. However, every congregational church develops their own covenant, uh, which is a way that they remind one another of their relationship to each other and to God and the priority they're placed. And so covenant is significant in the congregational realm of things. And our covenant, while some of the words, you're right, do feel antiquated, there are a few that are that really speak to me, and I'll invite people to stay tuned as, as I explore covenant. Next week, uh, you will hear Plymouth's covenant again. And it's important You've to You've just remember, committed to that. I did commit to that 
I think it's an important piece that we we need to remind ourselves of of how we are bound together. So it's that word that word you know we do bind ourselves to one another. One with another. One with another, uh, which is significant. And then of course the important party in a covenant, a covenant being different from an ordinary promise, is the fact that God is a part of the promise that God. Part of that binding. God is the glue between one and another. God is the glue. I think that could be a sermon title, Seth. God is the glue. Are you committing to it now? Or are you going to take no. it next week? Okay. No, not my sermon title. I'll leave that one for you. <laughs> okay. Uh, so in this particular sermon, Duane is talking about what I think in our Judeo-Christian history is the most famous of the covenants and really the first one, the one where after the flood, God gives a rainbow as a sign of a new covenant with people to never destroy people again. I have to admit, uh, Duane at the beginning of the sermon talks about how God repented and God turned around and said, I'm sorry, and I will never do this again, and gave this bow as a symbol. And I have to say that I've heard and talked and thought about many times about God making this promise and saying that God wouldn't do this again. But what I'd never put is the word repent to that. And so that was a new thing for my mind was God repenting and using that phrase to turn around. And, and this is how words take, you know, take form in your mind when you're a little kid and all of a sudden you realize maybe your idea was wrong. I always took rainbow to mean like a bow, like a knot. Mm. shoe bow. And I always thought that was a funny word for rainbow because it doesn't look like a bow. I didn't until this sermon think about the fact that it was a bow, like a bow and arrow. And then Dwayne- Some kind of weapon. Yep. Yeah. And Dwayne talks about how God disarmed God's self. And that was really uh, new and novel and I think an important thing for me. So those of you listening, we're all learning. We all learn from each other. And after we heard Dwayne preach this um, last Thursday- I know you mentioned that right away, mm-hmm. uh, and I said something about, well, God, it's good to know God can change God's mind, and and you commented on that too, that you've thought about it in that way. We have other examples in scripture where God does change God's mind, but that this was the first time you really thought about God repenting. That word, mm-hmm. that seems so human being applied to God. Well, and also such a big piece of of Lent, of the Lenten season. You know, we can we could talk for several podcasts about what repentance is, but we probably will. <laughs> essentially, it means to turn around, to turn back towards God, to, to return, to reframe our thinking, to let go. I don't know what does it do for you, Seth, when you think about God participating in that too. What does that open up for you? Uh, a model of if God can do it, then why can't we? <laughs> which which is sort of opposite because uh, God God does lots of things that we can do if you if if you can call it doing things. But there's something universalizing of that that it is not just a requirement of creation or of people to repent, but rather it's been modeled for us mm. that it's not a requirement without example. Do what I do. And not just what I say. And this is where we tread into some waters that don't feel as comfortable for me because now in saying that, are we making God too human? Hmm. I don't understand God 
as human. And I know that humans are made in God's image or so such scripture, but so I don't think I have an answer here, but I know that even as I reread and listened to Dwayne's sermon more than once, I was trying to kind of separate for me, how, how do I understand God in this way of, of repenting and disarming if I don't understand God as being human? I don't really have an answer. It's just a wondering right it's now. It's a great question. And I also, as, as we've talked about, don't hold God as human. I do this thing with confirmation at the beginning where I ask them to draw a picture and talk about what they thought God was when they were young, what they mm-hmm. were taught mm-hmm. by, by society, by teachers, by parents, by somebody. And they all, almost to a person, talk about the exact same thing. Old, white, man, beard, sitting in a chair in heaven with like lightning bolts coming out of the finger, very Zeus, very European, very masculine. But then I ask them the next week, what do you think now? And almost to a person, it becomes everything and nothing. It's the ground of being. It's it's in the all things. It's in trees as much as it's in people. And and it becomes more universal that way. Mm. Anyway, the side note about how great confirmation is. Uh, I appreciate that. I taught confirmation for a lot of years and I did a similar exercise, but I made them do it in, in groups. And so they had to first create their own image and mm-hmm. then they they had to pair up and figure out how to combine their images so that they were both represented and then they had to do it in bigger groups oh. just, just to sort of broaden when I mean, everybody had to agree that that is you know that they were comfortable with what they were seeing um so it became a little piece of everything but it, it helped them to begin to broaden that sometimes really narrow understanding of who and what god is oh, i like that i am going to adopt that when we i mean i'm doing it right now on zoom that would be impossible but when we're back in in human proximity again next year i'm going to do that i like that anyway thank you see i'm learning a lot today i'm learning about bows and Learn a new confirmation curriculum. Thanks for educating me, everybody. But what I was trying to say was, this might not be a great example, but what is appealing or what is speaking to me about the idea of God repenting and modeling that is, I didn't see it as a human thing, but rather that the movement of the world, the ground of being, and potentially modeled in these systems and structures that are without human, that are made of people, and people represent them, but a system is not people, Mm -hmm. that those have the possibility of also repentance, that the system of consumption and degradation of environment could at some point repent and turn back. Mm-hmm. That the system of white supremacy and the structures that follow it could repent. That even just so, I know systems of people are not the same as God, but at least that's a. In my mind, it's closer than a single God as a person. Well, and, and I that's like how it worked in my head, and I I like that, and I I would say that for me, I I understand God as also being in progress. So mm-hmm. who God is now, just like all of us, is not who God might be tomorrow. There's this sort of evolution with God too. And I know that some people are pretty uncomfortable with that because they want God to be this sort of steadfastness yeah. and and not changing. And and that's that's what they believe in. But I don't. And if everything else changes, I need something that doesn't. That kind right, of idea. Right. And so I have a lot of I certainly have a lot of understanding for people who understand and believe God that way. But I don't. I like to think of a, a progressive God that continues to evolve. And therefore, repentance means to me means a shift. It means not staying the same. It means being open to change. 
So we've discussed the first paragraph of Darian's sermon. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, we're, really, we're really moving along. He then takes that and talks about, um, moves into the idea that it is not because of that, it is not God that we should be fighting. Mm. That it is not God that is, I don't think he used the word enemy, that is our... Um, he does actually use the word enemy. Does he? He says that... Um, I do know that we are easily goaded into believing that God and humanity are enemies. Yeah. And, you know, we could pull that apart, but I, I think that his point leads us then to that really it's humans who are in conflict with one another. Yeah. Um, we are not in conflict with God per se, but we tend to be at war with one another. And that's a, that's a thing that we, I think, is said often at Plymouth specifically. We talk about the abundance of God's love is, is without question, but humans commodify each other. Humans put each other values on each other. God will never do that. Mm-hmm. So that fits right into, I think, the ethos of Plymouth, that the culture of Plymouth is not one that we are assuming that God is our enemy, but rather the conflicts and the questions are between people. And so then how does the understanding of covenant which is really something that comes from God. How does the understanding of, of covenant help us to mend the divides in between? Because God is the glue, sermon title. <laughs> <laughs> and we return to that indeed, because God is the glue. I don't know. Is there more there though, Seth? What difference does covenant make to us now in this sort of fractured, divided, polarized world? What I heard Dwayne say is that because God has made this covenant of with the bow after the flood with us, it is now our continued work to model that same covenant one with another that God, I won't say is the glue again, God is the uh, connector of the of us as we make that covenant with each other. I thought it was wonderfully said, had humans given God advice about what to do, we would have told God to not forgive and make covenant with people again, because that's that's what we would do. But instead, God did. And that is the model and the expectation is that we continually work at this. And a time when we are as fractured and as polarized and as connected, that is even more incumbent upon us to do this work, to find covenant with each other. Right. As Duane offers up a quote, human beings should follow the divine lead. So, if we reestablish our commitment to one another based on our understanding of the commitment that God has made to us, that sounds transformative to me. Yeah. And he uses the word entangling. It is a call for entangling ourselves in relationship with others, like God obligates God's self to us. That entangling, it, it's not simple. No. You don't just say, I will covenant with you. Done. So here's to entanglement. Maybe that here's should be our Lenten, <laughs> our Lenten practice. How do when we it, become entangled in a divine covenantal way? Yeah. And that's that title, the entanglements of unrestrictive covenants. May well, even, we be entangled with each other. Right. It, because the word implies complication. It is complicated. Mm-hmm. There is no one path. Entanglements. I have a visual in my head of what that word draws out to be. And I think that is, it's a really good way to express how we find our way together. Amen. (laughs) Well done. 
All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening again. This is a joy for us to do, and we hope you find some meaning out of it. Thank you, Duane, for preaching a sermon worth talking about. Thank you to Mark and Laura for your work. Thank you, Beth, for teaching me stuff. Oh, Seth, it's always good to be in conversation with you, and I'm grateful to those who have taken the time to listen. Be well.